and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series. My name is Scott Miller, and I'm honored to keep serving as your host and interviewer. I've just written a book about the podcast called Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds, published by HarperCollins Leadership. Out now and available for order on all your favorite book sites and bookstores. Basically, it is an aggregation, a compilation of 30 of my favorite guests from the first year, where I share a single transformative insight from each of them and a story about how I may or may be struggling with or succeeding in implementing that transformative insight. This book is a nugget book. I'm sure that one of these 30 nuggets will hit you exactly where you are. And today's guest actually has agreed to be featured in Master Mentors Volume 2, coming out in 2022. My big fan of today's guest, Rachel Hollis, is back in the house, the author of many books and a massive influencer, and has learned a lot of lessons in 2020 and 2021. And we're here today to unpack some of those and really understand in a vulnerable and intimate conversation, you know, how can we learn from Rachel's successes and perhaps even some of her failures as we perfect, improve, tighten our own leadership capabilities? Rachel Hollis, welcome back to On Leadership. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Great to have you. Rachel, one of my favorite um, stories that I talk about when I reference you and what I've learned from you is that there's no such thing as overnight success. There is overnight fame, but there's no such thing as overnight success. And I love to quote, you know, how many of you have heard of, you know, party girl, sweet girl, smart girl, but everybody's heard of, you know, girl, wash your face and girl, stop apologizing. And you, I think, are one of the best examples I've ever met of someone who understands that there's no such thing as overnight success. There's overnight failure, right, in terms of our brands and such. We'll talk about some of the things that you've learned from that, but for those last few human beings that um, aren't aware of both um, your entire journey, would you take a few minutes and kind of reorient us to what is party girl, what is smart girl, and why is that so important as relates not just to your journey, but for other people's journeys as well? Yeah, so the titles that you're mentioning are titles of my first books, and they're important to reference because when I had a real breakout success at the beginning of 2018, every reporter asked me what it was like to have my first book out in the world. And I was like, this is my sixth book. This is not my first, this is my sixth. And it's interesting because people sort of only have an awareness of any of us when we come on their radar. So for me, a lot of people assume that I sort of started working on this in 2018. And the reality is I've been at this. And when I say this, I mean learning to communicate, uh, writing and blogging and crafting books and eventually having a podcast and speaking on stages. Everything for me is about communicating with women. And that started, you know, 15 plus years ago. It's been a really long journey from there to here. And I think the reason, you know, it's interesting because it, uh, there's a lot of conversation about success and what that looks like and overnight versus long term. But for me, it was really about just wanting to be a little bit better every time. I definitely had goals and ambitions for my life, but the the sort of litmus test for me about whether or not I was sort of doing my work well was I was, am I improving as I go? And sort of keeping it small and tight in that way, I think is what allowed me to continue to have joy in the journey 
no matter how long it was taking. Rachel, we're going to talk about what's, what's you, what you faced, right, in your last 18 months or so. But I think I, I want to talk a little bit more about your journey because I, I want you to go back a little further. Because I think, again, most people know you as a coach, as an inspirational leader and speaker, an entrepreneur, a very successful entrepreneur, and an incomparable author. I think I heard once where, was it in 2018 or 2019, you sold more books in the U.S. than any other person, maybe second only to Michelle Obama. Your influence was incalculable, but that wasn't always the case. Can you rewind 20 years ago on how you got your entrepreneurial start in terms of you know, event planning and lifestyle blogging? And, and, and for those last few people that can benefit from that journey, I want you to share that because you know, all of us have to take what might be micro steps in our journey, right? Couple steps forward, couple step back. Talk about your early entrepreneurial passions and how they turned into the influencer you became in the last couple of years. Yeah, so I was at a, I was working in the entertainment industry in LA as an assistant and I had this sort of thankless job but it felt very fancy and cool and I got to work really neat parties. I was such a country mouse and I just felt like the whole thing was so incredible and I think honestly Scott, I was just naive. I was naive enough to think like, well, I could probably do this myself. And I think I could be an event planner and I think I could throw this party. And I had a pretty crappy boss, like a lot of people and started to dream about what it would be like to do my own thing. And it's worth saying when I'm doing this dreaming, I'm 20 years old, like 20 years old, high school diploma, no idea what I'm doing, but I just had like total belief not in what I could accomplish, but I had total belief in my work ethic. I come from a long line of very hard workers. Uh, my dad before me, my grandparents were migrant farm workers. They pick cotton. Like it's a big part of my pride in my family is how hard we work. And so I didn't really know what I could do. I didn't have access. I didn't have contacts, but I knew I could outwork people. And I knew that I knew how to throw a party. And so honestly, I just took a big leap and decided to try. I quit on a Friday, had a really bad experience with a bad boss, quit on a Friday and started my company on Monday morning. And when I say started my company, I mean like I had cards printed and I sent out an email to like 20 people and told them, if you know any par parties that I could plan, let me know. So I was so terrible. But honestly, I just, there, there's something magical, I think, that happens when we throw ourselves into the deep end of the pool, and we have to learn how to swim. I'm actually preparing for a class I'm teaching tonight on change and the different kinds of change that we go through in our lives. And there's voluntary change and involuntary change. And neither one of those is necessarily good or bad. But for me, if I look back on the path of my career, I've really pursued voluntary change. Yeah. Uh, certainly there are circumstances in life that knock me off track that I don't choose, but most of the time I'm trying to stay in control of the pivot. And the way that I have done that, whether it was starting an event planning company or beginning my blog in 2008 or sort of moving into that space is I'm just sort of following the opportunity. I years ago got to hear, oh, I'm going to, totally forget her name and I love it and I oh I'm uh, Marion Nafisi who is the founder and CEO or at least was I think she might still be there of Minted said um 
follow the signs of life. And I heard that when I was so young in my career, she said, follow the signs of life. If you listen to your community, if you listen to your customer, they will tell you where you're supposed to head. And I, I really do think that's a big part of my success is I've just, I've, I've controlled the pivot myself as much as I can. And I've followed the opportunity and that has led to eventually growing the blog into having a big following and writing that first book and speaking on stage for the first time. And it's worth saying as much as it's, you know, the title now, the sort of like motivational speaker or whatever, that is not something that I pursued. I think that I just happen to have like a lot of fire in me and I'll fire you up and I'll challenge you. But really, I have just learned to tell the story of my life and the things that I struggle with and then the steps that I take to get past them. And that has resonated with women. But uh, it would be disingenuous to say this was always the goal. It, it wasn't. The goal was just to improve and to keep moving forward into opportunity. Rachel, let's pull some leadership lessons out. Uh, 15 years ago, uh, I was promoted to my first big promotion inside the Franklin Covey Company, where I had a 25-year career. I moved from country mouse to city mouse. I moved from you know Utah out to Chicago, running at the time the biggest region for the com the company worldwide. And I got some good feedback from one of my coaches. I was way in over my head. I was not prepared for this massive opportunity. And she said to me, Scott, you know, when you're a leader, the more you speak, the more you will misspeak. Meaning, you know, people will want you to communicate. And by just volume, the more times that you say things, the more times you're going to get things wrong. The more times you're going to have to offer an apology. The more times you're going to have to, you know, retrench something. Uh, to the extent that's a a resonant leadership lesson for you, perhaps in the last year and a half or so, have there been some times when your intent was not matched with your technique, where you said something and you realized, oh my gosh, I've got to reel that back. The problem is there aren't 40 people who heard it. There were 40 million people who heard it. What would you say to that? Right. I mean, I definitely experienced this earlier this year, back in April. I put a post on social media that in my, my intent was, I thought it was empowering. I thought I was saying something that people could identify with and it just absolutely went horribly wrong. And I think what I learned in that process, so many things, but the big part is the privilege that I own as a white woman to not have understood how the things I was going to say would be hurtful. And that experience was devastating for me because I have spent over a decade building a community that's safe, building a community that says you can, you're welcome here, you're loved here, whoever you are. And all of a sudden, these community members felt like, oh, this isn't a safe space anymore. And in that moment, there's such a almost like animal instinct to try and explain yourself or well, no, no, wait, that, that wasn't at all. And I didn't perceive it that way. And the reality is it doesn't matter what I was trying to say. It matters what people heard and it matters that people were hurt. And that's something that I have to take ownership of. And the biggest leadership lesson in that for me is, and I mean, I, I've learned this a thousand times in business and this was the most public experience of it certainly is a willingness to own the mistake 
and learn how to fix it. And making a really conscious decision to show change through the way that I live my life, through the way that I do my business, through the way that I communicate, instead of sort of the PR thing of, now let me tell you the five things that I did and it's all well and good and it's done. And what I've tried to do in the months since then is really do the work, is really understand what happened, is really read the books, is really talk to the experts, is really do the personal stuff that's not for public viewing, but that I wanna change my heart. And I wanna change my heart certainly for this work that I do and the community that I'm leading out in because I am no, I know I'm not the only person with white privilege who doesn't see it as aware as I think that I am and as much as I'm in community and all of the things, I still said something to my best friends are black women. I still said something that they called me and were like, Rachel, what the heck? And I was like, I, I had no idea. And that's privilege. And so that's an incredible lesson a freaking hard, painful, brutal lesson in public. But I think that, or I hope that my willingness to own it and to talk about it and to not sort of stick my head under a rock and stop trying to do the work is an example to other people. There's such a disparity in this country, the whole world, but especially in this country when it comes to um, race. And I think that, I, I hope that seeing me do the work, seeing me get it wrong, seeing me own it, seeing me apologize, um, is an example to other people to not be afraid. Because if we, as a community on every side of this, don't speak our truth, don't ask questions, don't try and help each other, then this is never gonna get better. And I'm really blessed in my life to have incredible mentors and leaders who will challenge me and who will hold me accountable. And so, yeah, I think there isn't like a magic solution to this, but I think any of us who are out in the world, whether that's publicly, whether you're a teacher, maybe it's in your church community, I just think that we're gonna make mistakes, especially when it comes to this subject. And if you, are like if you're going to be so afraid of making a mistake that you won't open your heart to learning from it freaking miss the entire lesson Rachel I'm going to guess some many people felt betrayed by the safe community they felt you'd placed them in with your your videos some of your posts some people probably felt you didn't own it or didn't apologize the way they wanted to there are probably tens if not many many millions hundreds of millions of people who feel like they know you. They've read your books, they've subscribed to your coaching, they've watched you on countless morning podcasts with your former husband, Dave, and business partner. What would you say to the countless millions of people who watch your every move, or did, and felt like they knew you, and they, they felt like, yeah, she didn't own it, or yeah, I don't know that she gets it. That's a, it's a big standard, right, to, um, to rise to. Perhaps they felt betrayed. Perhaps you felt some betrayal. What would you say to the many millions who feel like they know you, but don't? I think if, I guess from my perspective, um, I, I took it on in every arena. I apologize on social. I 
Apologize in Press, in podcasts, both personally and in other people's, in email. <laughs> um, not only did I own it once, but I owned it continuously for weeks and weeks and still do in conversation with you. We're, we're having this right. conversation mid-August, and that happened at the beginning of April. And I will continue to lead out in opening it up and talking about it. And I, I think any of us cannot, I can't control I absolutely cannot control public perception. I can't control the way someone else receives it. None of us can. I know my heart and I know my intentions and I can only move forward to the best of my ability. But me hoping to sway the opinions of of millions of people, that's that's not my job. And I really think that. Scott, I think that if people felt hurt or betrayed, and that means that they could never follow me again, and they could never buy another book, they could never listen to the words that come out of my mouth, that's oh, absolutely okay. It's not my job to try and convince them to think anything differently than what is their truth. It's my job to do the work to be the person that I want to be. That's my job. My job is how do I show up as a mom in the way that I want to be if I'm making these mistakes? Like, how do I use this experience to show up as a better leader in my family, to show up in a better leader at work? That's my job. That's the work. It's not, I, I think that it's really dangerous to live your life being swayed by public perception because they are two completely different things. There is a brand, there is a brand and then there is the actual human being that I am. Those are two totally different things because the brand is owned by the public. They get to decide. And depending on who you talk to, there might be different opinions about what that brand is. And if I try and control that, if anybody tries to control someone else's opinion of them, it's just a recipe for just the worst, most inauthentic, most anxious life because we will never please everybody. And so what I have to do is just live my truth and live with my heart open and do the best that I absolutely can. And that has to be enough. And however the public perception falls in there is okay. Rachel beautifully said, you have many roles in life. You're the mother to four beautiful children. You're a businesswoman, you're a friend, you're a daughter, you're an author, you're a coach, you're a speaker. And at heart, you're an entrepreneur. I mean, when I was at your RISE conference in Charleston two years ago, where you uh, graciously included me, I sat in awe as 7,000 people, side hustles, you know, really convicted business owners, people with dreams. You were teaching EBITDA. You were teaching cost of goods and, and inventory turns, and you were actually on a life-size you know, chart pad teaching thousands of entrepreneurs how to run their business successfully. What are some of the biggest business lessons that you've learned from the, perhaps the highest success of anybody I've ever met and perhaps some of the lowest you know, um, challenges that I've seen you know, publicly in the last couple of years? What are some of the core business principles that you've come to know are true that everybody can replicate in whatever business they're creating? You know, the thing that pops into my head, especially in the last, you know, since COVID happened, because COVID was 
for some businesses, the biggest opportunity ever. And for other businesses where it was absolutely devastating. And I am in the conference business. So COVID, it has been the most intense stress I've ever experienced in business. And I was in business in 2008, throwing luxury events. And I thought that was hard, <laughs> but that's nothing compared to what we've all lived through as entrepreneurs, you know, in the last year and a half. And so I think, I, I know this is a boring answer, but it is the truth. It all comes down to financials. It all comes down to knowing and owning your finance. Where are we at? What is cash flow? What is happening? What are the projections? And this is more important now than ever. Because I feel like when COVID started to sweep, we all had to make decisions. We all had to pivot. We had to make change. And oftentimes we can be clouded by our emotions, our intuition, wanting to do the right thing. And like, this is a mistake for me, certainly, is that I will get clouded by wanting to take care of people, wanting to make sure the team is safe. But finances don't lie. They don't lie. There's no gray area there. It is this plus this equals this. And when I was earlier in my career, I didn't understand that. And I really lived in sort of feast or famine for so long because of an unwillingness, because I told myself I was bad at math or that I couldn't understand it or I wasn't smart enough or that was for the accountant to do. And really taking ownership of that piece of your business, like drilling down and knowing what is your margin, what is your cash flow, what are your projections, that's gonna make the biggest difference as you move forward because you're making informed decisions. And I think that's not just true in business, that's true in life. I am navigating, you know, being a single woman for the first time really in my adult life because I left, uh, I, I met my ex-husband when I was, just before I turned 19 and we got divorced last year. So I grew up, I was an adult, but only in a relationship with this person. And so for the first time I found myself managing things that I hadn't managed to that degree to before. And I approached it the same way I approach business. Okay, I need to know what's up. I need to know what's expected. What's the plan for a rainy day? I know that's not sexy, but at the end of the day, a business is supposed to make you money. You know, there's a hot, you can have a hobby all day, but if you want to see revenue, if you want to see profit, then you have to know all of that information. And the thing is, there is so much information. If you go on YouTube right, right now and get a full education, watching videos where people explain it to you, you can find a way to learn enough about it that you're going to get excited about the process. You know, there's an old saying that says knowledge is power. Knowledge isn't power. Applied knowledge is power. But you not having the information to make smart decisions is in a world where they exist on the internet for free is just, it's the wrong choice. It's an ignorant choice. And I know it's easier to stay where you are, and believe me, I'm a creative. I don't wanna look at numbers. I wanna like dream of pretty conferences with beautiful Instagram backdrops. I don't wanna think about how much that's gonna cost per head. But if I wanna be in business and if I wanna make sure my team is safe and if I wanna have 
great health insurance for everybody, then I have to take ownership of that. And so does every other business owner out there. Rachel, pivot from business advice, thank you for that, to some marketing advice. I'm a big fan of Seth Godin, and Seth talks a lot in his books about your smallest viable market. You know, most marketers think about the total addressable market. That's what's taught at most marketing programs is, you know, how many customers can you get? But I think the best marketers think about not your largest viable market, but your smallest viable market. And when I was in your office in Austin a year and a half ago, we sat, closed the door, and you talked quite intently to me. No one was watching, no cameras are on. Uh, I've been around the block a few times, and you talked about how you were fiercely focused on her. You named yeah. her her. You talked about how you were in relationship with her and community for her. You knew her pain, her fears, her challenges, her passions, because in many ways you had them, perhaps realized or unrealized. Will you teach us all the lesson about the value of bringing the focus and discipline required to create what is your smallest viable market? So for me, I do call her her. I actually call her Jennifer. She has a name. Um, so Jennifer is very clear in my mind. She's a mom in her late 30s. She has at least two kids. She loves to shop at Target. She loves Starbucks. Um, I created the persona of the customer, and she is who I create everything for. She is who I created for back when I was a blogger talking about casserole recipes. She's who I create my events for. She's who I write for. I am speaking to her. And I think it is very easy to get lost in this huge possibility of what could be, especially in sort of the world that I found myself in of personal development. There's this market of people who are marketing to personal development junkies like the kind of people that are into that. I am not marketing to personal development junkies. I am marketing to the 98% of women who would never identify that way. I think that my purpose is to encourage women to be the hero of their own story. It just so happens that the tools that I know are tools that are all about working on yourself, whether that's mindset, your body, how you show up in relationship, your past traumas, whatever it is, it's a whole picture. But the intent is always be the hero of your own story. So if that's my purpose, I can sort of preach to the choir or I can talk to Jennifer who maybe has never heard this kind of conversation before. And it means that I have a way greater um, hurdle, many hurdles to get past because before I can ever even talk to her about tactics, I've got to make her understand how they can be helpful in her life. But the clarity of knowing who she is affects everything I do. It affects the language that I use in marketing. It affects the way something looks. And it also means to me that I can communicate with her in any medium. It means that I could write a fiction book. It means that I could write a movie. It means that I could do anything so long as that customer stays the same in my mind. Rachel, many will say that starting over is more difficult than starting from scratch. Uh, coming out of 2020, 2021, the pandemic, your business, your newfound, you know, being a single mom now, not quite sure what it's like to date Rachel Hollis, but I wish you luck on that. <laughs> Good luck with that, girl. Uh, are you starting over? Are you starting from scratch? H how, do you, how do you describe the maturation of your brand and your product right now, given kind of where you've been and where you're going? 
I think I, I just want to say something because I feel like it's important to point out. So I wouldn't call myself a single mom. I would say I'm a mom who's single. There you go. And I feel Thank like you. that's important because my ex-husband is an incredible dad yes. and we split time evenly and he's so involved and we still are family. I was hanging out with him and his girlfriend last weekend. Yeah. So I just want to say that because I feel like it's important to Thank honor you. the dads who are doing the work. Um, but for me, I don't think of it as... Um, starting over, I just think that this is the next evolution. This is the next evolution. I was actually talking to a therapist the other day and they were like, what, what version, like what number of you do you think this is? And I thought, what a, what a great question for all of us to ask ourselves. And it would take me a while to figure that out. But if you sort of thought like, oh, well, there was Scott before he got that promotion and had to move to Chicago sure, and then sure. the next version of Scott and the next, it just yeah. might be interesting for yeah. all of us to go like, Oh, I'm on version nine yeah. or I'm on version 9.4. Yeah. But for me, I just think this is the next evolution of whatever it's going to be. And that looks like something new. I, it's a really good question. Like to begin again versus starting from scratch. I think, when there's there's advantages to both. So if you're starting brand new, like maybe someone's listening to this podcast, they're starting their first company, you have so much hope and there's so much I, with like the best is like the naivete about how hard it's gonna be. Like you have all this stuff that's gonna really assist you in that beginning hustle and figuring it out. And then I could also look at for many of us who've had to shift and change our business in the last 18 months, what does it feel like to do that again? You could look at it and go like, man, it's way harder because I don't have that enthusiasm and I don't have that hope and I do know how hard it's gonna be. But then I am a naturally, I'm a positive person and I reach for the goodness. And so the goodness in an evolution or the goodness in beginning again is I do have past experiences that tell me that I've got this. I know how to figure it out. I've had my back against a wall and I'll do it again. Like, I think that you can find the goodness in either side if you're willing to, to do some digging. So for me, it's about, like I have the conference that's coming in uh, Labor Day weekend. And that is really, Scott, the last thing that exists from sort of before. Hmm. So this is a conference that was originally scheduled in June of 2020 and has had to be moved and was in person and then virtual and just COVID has done this to all of us. We, we keep having to make changes. And so I'm really excited about this conference because it's the first time that we've done women's conference virtually. And that's a huge deal for women in my community because they're mamas. And so it's hard to find childcare. It's hard to pay for travel. And so it's just, it's a unique opportunity. And I'm excited because it's new. There's new and fresh perspective from the last 18 months. But really, it feels like this beautiful closing of a chapter. It feels like this beautiful, like, full circle. My very first conference I ever threw was a women's conference in Austin, Texas. And now I'm going into a women's, con uh, women's conference in Austin, Texas. And I'm excited to be able to dream of new products and new things to offer the community and sort of close this loop. So it all feels like an evolution and I'm holding on to, uh, to the excitement of that. Wish you success with that. 
uh, certainly. Your most recent book, Didn't See That Coming, Putting Life Back Together When Your World Falls Apart. Good timing on that, by the way, in more ways than one. At the end of the book, you, you invite your reader to reflect on a variety of questions. And I'd like to pitch some of these questions to you and have you extemporaneously answer them. One of your questions is, ask yourself how you can rebuild better than before. What's your answer to that? I feel like I am rebuilding better than before because so many of the foundations that were part of my life have been knocked down. It, to be honest, I think this is a lot of people's truth. You know, going through divorce last year and navigating that with my kids and um, I lost my grandpa to COVID and um, I have watched my business just go from the highest heights to the lowest lows to navigating keeping employees employed and doing work we're really proud of and switching to virtual like everything has changed everything and when everything gets knocked down when everything gets sort of uh, the word that keeps coming in my brain is sort of like burned like for a lot of us it feels like we're we're rising from ashes you get to rebuild better and you get to ask yourself, what are the parts of this that I want to make sure are here? And what are the parts of this I absolutely don't want to take with me into the future? And that is, that's what feels so exciting about the next phase is getting to create from a space of like newness. I, ha I have a friend who has a tattoo that says, in order to find beauty in the ashes, something has to burn, which is like very heavy. But also I think is beautiful because that's a lot of people's story right now. A lot of us, maybe people listening to this, maybe your business is doing great, or maybe, you know, you work at a company where things are going great, but you personally are burnt out. You're exhausted. You're beyond stress. Like you feel like you've been changed. I, in, um, I have a coaching community and one of the members of my community said last month, she said, I, I miss feeling great. It's been a year since I felt like myself, since I felt great. I don't even know the last time I would like use that word. And I, it's just so many people's truth right now. And so I'm looking at this time for myself and for all of us as this opportunity to decide what do we want to rebuild with. Rachel, another question you ask your reader is write down your vision of the new you. What's that? Oh my gosh, Scott. I literally have, I, I journal every day and I have probably four pages at the start of my journal of the future that I am building for myself. And I read it every single morning. It's a great part of a morning routine. I would suggest it to anyone listening, just sort of asking yourself, what is it that you want in every area of your life? And then what are you actively doing to make that your reality and you just read it every single day as a reinforcement of the direction that you're heading. So for me, it's finding, it's finding the space to get to write again, because the, the truth is that this last 18 months has been only ever about the business. It like most CEOs or most founders, that's all I've done for 18 months is just keep people employed. 
and that I'm really proud of what we've done. And I'm also exhausted is the truth. I am um, mindful of that. And so I'm looking forward to the last quarter of this year as a chance to really replenish myself and to start to write again and to start to communicate in my chosen medium. Uh, but that's that's a big thing for me is what is it going to feel like to be able to be creative again and sort of really practice some deep self-care, not as a like, oh, it's Sunday, I'm going to do one thing for myself, but really uh, take the time to rest and shut off and get to um, be inside my own head and get some get some peace. Bridget, I want to share a story with you and then get you to um, opine on it. About almost exactly two years ago, after what was in about a 23-year, very successful career with the Franklin Covey Company, lived all over the world, became an executive officer, I wrote my first book. The book was called Manage Management Mess to Leadership Success. And it basically was a bit of a confessional on how hard leadership is, all the mistakes that I'd made. And it was a different kind of book for Franklin Covey. Most of our books are kind of all wrapped up in a nice bow. Well, this was, there was no bow. There was like coffee stains on it and, you know, fire hydrants, you know, flushing you in the face to, to requote one of your books. And so I wrote this book and uh, I was, you know, not in the public eye. I was a very successful producer, you know, director of Franklin Covey's brand, but not in the public eye. And so I went on to a variety of podcasts, including Donald Miller's podcast, right? A mutual friend of ours. And Donald was gracious enough to invite me on. And then, I don't know, a couple of months later, one morning, I'm sitting in my kitchen in Salt Lake City. And my phone starts blowing up with colleagues from around the world texting me photos of you and your husband holding up my book on your morning podcast. And they said, oh my gosh, Rachel Hollis is talking about your book right now. And I'm like, Rachel Hollis, Rachel Hollis, that sounds familiar to me. I'm like, what do you mean sounds familiar? The next thing I know, a minute later, I get a LinkedIn in-mail from you saying, I heard your interview on Donald Miller's podcast. I love your book. Will you come down to Austin and will you do a fireside meeting with my team? Well, after that 80 texts that I got in the minute before saying, can you believe Rachel Hollis is holding your book up? I come down. The next thing I know it, I'm begging you, can I come to one of your events? But I think I said to you, hey, Rachel, if any of your uh, speakers get the flu, <coughs> I'd be happy to come for free. And I, like, I wore you down over 48 hours. You lamented. I remember the text you said, my team is going to kill me, but okay, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 30 minutes. I'm going to cut my, my time short. You gave me 30 minutes. You flew me to a 7,000-person conference. It was like no event I'd ever experienced in my life. Now, mind you, I had had a great corporate career. I'd spoken in front of many audiences, never like that before. You were a transition figure in my life. At the age of 40, no, at the age of 49, you, were, you don't know that story because you heard me on, day, or on um, Donald Miller's podcast you brought me down. You took a risk on me. You'd never seen me speak on stage. You had no idea <laughs> if I could crush it on stage in front of 7,000 Jennifers. You were a massive transition figure for me. Thank you. Who is that person for you? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, that's a beautiful story. Thank 100% you true. for telling me. And I, tell that story, <laughs> I tell that story weekly to audiences oh. and podcasts that you were a transition figure for me. And I believe fundamentally, you know, when the world walks out, a friend walks in, 
I believe we all make mistakes. We do our best to own them. Sometimes we don't own them to everybody's standard. We offer apologies. Different people have different opinions on those apologies. Like you said earlier, you can't manage your perception by everybody else. You can only manage who you are, what you're about, and what life you're on. Who is your Rachel Hollis? Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm trying to think of what that would be because I feel like I have so many people in my life who have given me the opportunity or who have spoken wisdom into my ear. Um, or maybe oh, even, dear. Rachel, maybe it's sometimes, you know, people extend trust to us when we don't always deserve it, when we always haven't earned it because they have faith in us that we will earn it that we will re-earn it. Is there someone in your life that has pre-extended trust to you and perhaps at the moment, maybe you didn't earn it or deserve it? Oh man, I wish I had a better answer. The, the one that's popping in my head and it feels like such a ridiculous thing to say, but it is what's popping in my head, so I'm just gonna go with it, is getting to open for Oprah. Um, at the beginning of last year on her tour, I, I got to give an opening keynote for her and she is my hero from the time I was a little girl. That was a, a lifelong dream come true for me. And she was, she is the example of the kind of leader that I want to be in life because I mean, it was such a, it's such a long story, but it was so, I was so scared and I didn't want to meet her. I asked 50 times, can I please not meet her? Because I just love her so much. And I just knew there was no way that she was going to meet my expectations. And they were like, no, it's our conference. You don't get to choose. And so I, she called me on stage to introduce me and I don't even, I was out of body experience, like gave my keynote. She thanked me at the end and I was sort of like, okay, I did it. I, I hugged Oprah. I did not pee my pants. I'm good. And I went back to the green room. I had this tiny green room and I was there. I'd taken some of my best friends with me to, to have the experience. And I get a knock on the door and they say, um, uh, Miss Winfrey would like to come visit you. Would that be okay? And I, I was like a deer in headlights. I was like, what? she wants to come to me to like this little room like shouldn't i come to her so me and my friends start cleaning this room like you know when you were little and like company would come unexpectedly and your mom would make everybody clean the house as fast as they could that was me and my friends like throwing things in the bathroom under the couch and oprah came in with gail just gets better and better and she hung out with me and my best friends for about 20 minutes she hung out with me and she was so present and had zero reason. There's no reason for her to do that. And it was this out of body, beautiful, like such a gift experience of like getting to talk to my mentor and getting to ask her questions. And when I say mentor, I mean a mentor my whole life that I had never actually met. Most of my mentors, maybe all of my mentors are people that I've never actually met, just read books or watched shows or you know so i'm getting this like incredible experience and she said such beautiful words that i'll hold with me forever and she left and i remember thinking and still to this day i have gotten the opportunity to speak on stages for some of the biggest speakers in the world who are men and never 
Like it's rare if they come and shake your hand. I mean, it is, it, and I remembered thinking and, and respectfully, I love men. I'm raising three of them. Like, but I remembered thinking the difference between a female leader at the highest level and a male leader at the highest level. And she was so intentional about turning around and holding up a light for others. She was so intentional about taking the time to speak into me when she didn't need to. And I have experienced that with the with female leaders in my life a lot. And it's not to say I haven't had great mentors who are men, but I there and maybe it's just like a, you know, moving too fast or just not that intentionality, but I will never forget that experience and I will never forget like wanting to be that, wanting to be that for someone else, wanting to slow down, wanting to make sure that someone feels seen, wanting to make sure that someone feels noticed and that I'm encouraging them on the path. And so, I mean, I, it's beautiful that that's your story. And I think I haven't really thought of it in those terms, but I try and do that a lot. You know, if you look at conference lineup for my conference, I'm trying to give opportunity for people who don't normally get to speak in front of that many people. I'm very intentionally choosing a lineup of speakers who are incredibly diverse. I'm trying to uh, love you, Scott, because I know you're so great on stage, but I also am trying to frankly not put more white people on stage because that's not what we need. We need to hear from every voice, from every background from every socioeconomic background from every you know from the lgbtq community from different countries like we need everybody speaking and telling stories and sharing wisdom not only because that is like the goal is to get perspective from all sorts of different types of people that's how we learn and grow the best but also because if you're sitting in my audience you have to be able to see yourself on stage. You have to. And not everybody in the audience looks like me. And so it's important that I keep giving opportunity to people who haven't done it before. And I think 99% of the time, even if someone's never spoke to that many or never done it, they're going to knock it out of the park. And so I just want to keep leaning into that, however it shows up for me, because, yeah, I've been given that like the opportunity, but also the, I see you, I see you. Rachel, what's next for you? Well, tonight, <laughs> what's <laughs> next us, today is I'm tonight. teaching you, a class. You're teaching, you're teaching a course on change tonight. Can you share the audience and who it's with? Uh, can I, sorry, what was that? You said you're teaching a course tonight on change. You mentioned. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so me and my buddy Trent Shelton, who's yep. a very dear friend and who speaks at conference with me, are doing a webinar on how to pivot, how to make change. And honestly, that was just a free thing that we wanted to give our communities. We obviously have a conference, but not everybody can afford that. And I'm really mindful of being able to make sure that I balance the things that have a price tag and the things that we give away. And I prepare as much for teaching a course that's free as I do for teaching one that costs money. So I've literally been in preparation for a couple of days on this. I'm really excited about it. And conference in a few weeks, women only. It's our women's conference. We're pretty pumped. 
And then, like I said, yeah, I'm going to spend the rest of the year writing. I've got a book that's been on my heart for a while and want to sort of get back to a bit more humor. You know, my last book was hard to write. And so I want to I want to make people laugh and tell some stories. And I'm excited to work on that in the rest of the year. Rachel Hollis, thank you for coming back. Thank you for your vulnerability, your introspection, your insight, your courage. No doubt your 20 and 21 was a difficult one. You are a manifestation of resilience and for perseverance. I love how much you are dedicated to the people that work in your firm and how passionate you are around giving them opportunities. Look forward to your lighthearted book coming out in a couple of years and look forward to having you back. Thanks for all you're doing for the people that work for you and your community. And Rachel Hollis, it's an honor to be back in your presence again. Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate the time. It's always fun to get to hang out with you guys. Our pleasure. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you back here next week for another discussion on leadership.